You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. So we're thankful that you're here today, and we are grateful that you're with us and joining us for service this morning. And uh, this morning, uh, we're getting very close to the end of the book of Acts. And so we're looking forward to finishing up uh, our series in Acts. And we're going to be in uh, Acts chapter 27 there, so you can go ahead and turn yourself there to uh, get to that passage of Scripture. But first thing I wanted to talk to you about is as we look at the book of Acts, um, it's the story of the apostles and what they did, but it's also a story of the church as well. And it's easy to forget that. It's easy to forget that the story of the book of Acts is not just what the apostles did, even though it's sometimes called the Acts of the Apostles. It's a story of what the church did. And we see how believers viewed the church the church for the early, you know, first century Christians was not an optional thing. Let me just say that. That for the, 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 the Christians in the early church, in the first century A.D., they didn't see it as something they could take or leave. They didn't see it as something that, well, maybe I'll go, maybe I won't go. It says that the believers met every day. Can you imagine coming to church every day? We have trouble with Sundays, especially if the sun is out or if it's raining. It seems like we can't win either way. If it's raining, I don't want to get wet. I'd rather not get out of bed. If it's nice out, maybe I'll do some yard work or golf. It's like the church can't win because there's always something else to do. But the church wasn't an optional thing to the early uh, Christians. It wasn't something they added to their life. It was their life. I'll say that again. Church wasn't something they added to their life. Church was their life. They viewed church as a community of believers that were committed to the Lord, to one another, and to the spreading of the gospel. They were committed to the Lord, one another, and the spreading of the gospel. And they had given up everything to be part of it. They, many were kicked out of the synagogue, out of their homes. They lost friendships and family members businesses and personal freedoms. They lost those things in order to be part of the church because they saw it as something as necessary and eternal. Their perspective was so different than the way people view church today in America. It's the difference between a consumer Christianity and a committed Christianity. I'm going to start off right there. There's a difference between consumer Christianity and committed Christianity. And the way that people view the church is different than the way the church was viewed in the first century A.D. I believe part of the reason why we don't see the results and the things that were seen in the early church is because we don't look at it the same way that they did. We look at it like, when I come in, what are you going to do for me? Instead of a group of people that were committed to the Lord and to one another and said, God, what do you want to do through us? And that's a powerful difference when you get a hold of it. And so, you know, the early church, when we think about what we ask today as American Christians of the church, uh, it would be embarrassing to the first century Christians. It would actually sound ridiculous if it came out of their mouths when you think about it. You know, think about it. They met daily. They didn't ask each other or they didn't ask the pastor, who's going to be there? I'll go, but who else is going to be there? If you're part of the early church, everybody was there. They committed themselves to the Lord to be there. 
Uh, they didn't ask questions like, how long is the service going to be? When Paul sometimes preached till midnight. No, don't get scared. I'm not going to preach till midnight. But do you understand what I'm saying? They didn't ask, well, how long is this going to be? It will it be 60 minutes. Will it be 90 minutes? If you grew up in a certain faith background, you might say 45 minutes and I'm out. And if it goes any longer than that, I just, you'll get up and leave. Listen, I, I was in a church up in the North Shore area of Massachusetts that had a very uh, strong faith background in a particular denomination that will remain nameless. But when the pastor would get up, this, when the service started, they would count 45 minutes from the time the service began. And whether the service was done or not, they would just get up and leave. They'd just be like, we're, we're done. So <laughs> just get up and they would leave the church. They would go out the sanctuary doors, out the building, get in their car and drive away. Why? Because you weren't done in the time that I'm regulated to be in order to be in the Lord's house. They didn't ask how long it went. They didn't ask what kind of music they're going to play. They didn't church hop or church shop back then. They didn't ask which church had a better vacation Bible school program, Ephesus or Corinth. When you think of the seven churches of Asia Minor, they go, well, I'm going to Ephesus this week because I hear they have a men's barbecue. That sounds ridiculous when you think about the early church. The early church was committed to Christ and to the cause. They weren't asking, well, what, what's the youth group like? What's the pastor speak on? You know, what, 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 do they have a, a young adults group so I can find my life mate and soul mate? What, which church had the better gifts on Mother's Day? Which ones had coffee after service? Can you imagine them asking that in the first century Christianity? I can't. So it's a completely different story, and we need to change the way that we look at church if we ever hope to see God's kingdom at work in the world that we live in today. Otherwise, we'll continue to say, well, what have you done for me lately? Otherwise, we'll say to ourselves, you know, that was good, but I've heard better. The music was good, but oh, the worship at this church is better. Listen, we've got to get a hold of the fact that, like, we're not meant to church hop and jump around. We're not meant to get, well, I go here on Sunday morning at this time, and I go here on Wednesday night. It's fine if you want to go to different churches and everything like that, but they were, the believers were committed to a church. They were known as the believers at Ephesus, or to the believers at Thyatira, or the believers at the church at Pergamum. They were writing stories and writing letters and doctrine to the churches and the believers that were at that church. It's fine to go to another youth group. It's fine to go to a young adults group. It's fine to do all those things, but I will challenge you to change the way you look at Christianity. Change the way that you look at church instead of being, well, what is it doing for me? Instead of doing that, it should be, what can I do for the Lord? And I know this might sound like a plug for living hope, but it's not. I'm telling you today is because we need to be committed to the cause of Christ all the more so as the day of the Lord is approaching. We need to be about his kingdom. We need to be about his service in this time and season that we're living in. And in fact, if we look at church as always like, well, what, what can I get out of it? We need to question our salvation in those moments. The church does bring the bread of life. But it's not my job to feed you every day. It's my job to teach you how to feed yourself in God's word. Do you follow? Are you still with me? One's with me. I like that. But like, are you still with me? Listen, this is the difference. We want to be a church that is a New Testament church. But America, we've lost sight of what it means to be a New Testament church. 
We need to get back to that. We need to understand what it's all about. Why do I challenge you like that? Because we're reading about a man who gave everything he was for God's work. And you might say, well, pastor, that's the Apostle Paul. You know, he's a missionary. He's an evangelist. You know, he, he's supposed to do that. But surely God doesn't expect us to do that. You can't possibly mean that God wants us to give all that we have for all of God's work. That's just for the apostles. That's for the pastors, evangelists, teachers, and prophets. That's not for me. But then we read in Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 26, and you'll just have to just listen to me as I read this and trust me as your pastor for 13 years. You just have to trust me that this isn't God's word as we're having some technical difficulties. Let's just bless Dan for a minute here because he's working frantically back there to get that. You know, people who work sound, they get the stink eye when things don't work properly. They never get praise when things are going well. But, like, he's run it well week in and week out. So we're having a little technical difficulties. Thank you for your patience in that. But Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24 through 26, he said to his disciples, who's, our, who's the disciples? We are. We are followers of Jesus. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? So to follow Jesus, Jesus is saying that my desires are secondary to my calling to be a disciple. And that denial of self is necessary in order to be a disciple of Jesus. Because nothing else in this world is worth losing your soul over. Nothing. Nothing's worth it to lose your soul over. And Paul exemplified that commitment. He was a man who had been through some things. Let's take a look at uh, 2 Corinthians 11. Going back one here. 2 Corinthians 11, 24 through 29. We're going to get into Acts 27 in a minute, but I want you to look at something about what it cost Paul, what he did, and why it was significant here. And this will change your perspective because if you only look at Christianity as when it's convenient, if you only look at serving God when you have the time for it, if you only look at prayer as something that you employ and look to when things aren't going your way, but then it's forgotten at every other corner of your life, then you need to read what Paul says here because Paul is talking about his journey as a disciple of Christ, as a missionary, and as an evangelist. And he writes about, people boast about other things, but I want you to think about what he's boasting, and he's boasting in his troubles. He says in verse 24, from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was almost stoned to death. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day out in the deep, the open sea. In journeys often in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils from the Gentiles, in perils in cities, in perils in the wilderness, in perils at sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in coldness and nakedness. And besides all these other things, what comes upon me daily is my deep concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? Did you read everything Paul went through? 
beaten several times, shipwrecked three times. In fact, when we're going to read about this, Warren Rearsby points out that when Paul wrote this, it was three years before the events of Acts 27. So this will be shipwreck number four for Paul. Most of us say, you know what? One is good. I'll never go to the ocean again. I swear to God, I will never hop on a ship again. But Paul's like, this is the only way to get around. I'm going to choose to do it. Suffered at many different times, different uh, hardships, different difficulties throughout the, the difficulties of life. And sometimes we're troubled by just one bad thing that comes our way. But the reality is that we shouldn't be troubled by the one bad thing that comes our way, but to recognize that in service for the gospel, I'm going to say this again, in active service for the gospel, you're going to encounter trouble. I will guarantee it. You will see God's blessings. You'll see his hand at work. You'll see God do miraculous and mighty things through your life. But know this, that when you do that, you put yourself on the devil's hit list. You put, when you do this, you are upsetting the powers that be. When you do this, the world itself will turn against you because you are kind of upsetting the order of things. So when we face difficulties, when we're doing an active work for the gospel, we shouldn't be surprised by that in the slightest. Which brings us to Acts 27. We have been learning about the Apostle Paul's life in the first part of the book of Acts was mostly about the church and Peter. Then as we get in the second part of the book of Acts, it focuses on Paul and his missionary journeys and the things that happened to him at the end of his life. And we see different things happen. We see that he had gone to trial four times. First, before the religious leaders. Second, before a Roman commander. Third, before the governor Felix. And a fourth trial that we talked about last week before both the governor Festus and King Herod Agrippa II. And now he finally is given the opportunity, you know, Herod Agrippa and, uh, you know, uh, Festus, the governor, say, you know, he's done nothing wrong. I can't really see any cause for him to go to trial again. So why don't we just send him back to the Sanhedrin? Why don't we just send him back to his own people? And so they bring Paul forward and they say, Paul, you know what? You're a Roman citizen, but, you know, you're being tried on Jewish laws. Um, Would you like to go back to Jerusalem to be tried by the Sanhedrin? I think Paul recognizes that's probably not the best scenario for him. So as a Roman citizen that Paul was, he appeals. He says, no, I want my case to be heard before Caesar. And because he wanted to be able to to stand before Caesar, plead his case, and also share his testimony before one of the most ruthless and evil Caesars to ever rule, which was Caesar Nero. That's faith right there. That's the trust in the unbelievable power of God that you can say, I know this guy's a madman and his sanity is somewhat questionable and he's even put Christians to death, but if God can change me, then there's a chance for even the, the emperor of the Roman Empire. That's bold faith right there. So they begin to head out, you know, so they hop on a ship and they're being taken to Rome and there's a couple stops on the way and along the way they encounter a storm. And so things that, as we look at storms, as we look at difficulties, we see that they encounter this, this kind of swirling storm that's starting to get a little bit more treacherous as things go along. And so there are some things that we need to learn when it comes to the storms of our life because we all face storms of different kinds. And the first thing that we need to keep in mind is that storms are scary. I know that sounds like a really obvious thing to say, right? Storms are scary. But I don't know about you, but like, 
when it was really uh, windy last week, and trees were blowing around, and you know, the cap on my chimney came off and fell into the backyard, and limbs are coming down across the street. A tree came down, and you're like, that's kind of frightening to to not be sure whether or not something's going to come crashing through your house. I can't even imagine what it would be like to be at sea and to have winds like that hit the sea. I'm always amazed at travel before modern travel, that up until, uh, you know, the, the 1920s when they had steamships and different things going on that could get you from place to place, I'm amazed that sailing ships would take 30 days to get from Europe to America. Then when you think of like Thomas Jefferson coming from France to America, you know, as the diplomat for the United States, and that he would be on a boat for 30 days. Or you read the stories about people coming over on the Mayflower and how long that took. It took like, you know, a month to get somewhere on a ship with a sailing vessel. Me, I don't even like being on the ocean for a day. Like, I don't even want to be, like, I'm already seasick. If like, like, I remember we took like a little harbor cruise down on Cape Cod, you know, and we thought that would be fun. And, like, you know, the waves are churning and then boats are going by. And you get a little, like, movement there. And you're like, I'm not, no, we need to go back to the port right now. This is not good. But can you imagine being in open sea for a month? And then the waves crashing and the wind blowing and, and things just, you know, water coming into the boat. And you're like, oh, no, 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 this is not a good thing. I, you need to take me back to port. But the thing about storms is that they, are, they sometimes come without warning. Think about that time that they were living in. There was no, like, weather channel. There was no alert on your phone if, like, you were going into storm. All they had to rely upon was what did the sky look like at that particular time? What, were the stars out? Were they not out? What was the sunrise? What was the color of the sunrise? Was it red? Was it yellow? That determined what kind of storm it was. So, like, they had no way of knowing that if they hit the open sea that a storm would come their way unexpectedly and out of nowhere. At the time of their travel, which is believed to be about September, October, because in the chapter we see mentioned that that they would hope to winter in a particular port for a season. At that time of travel, that it was very treacherous to be on the open Mediterranean during that time. Storms would just whip up. Winter storms would get kind of come out of nowhere. And getting caught in the storm is frightening. It's dark. The seas are swelling, the winds blow, and it threatens to capsize and knock over your boat. Uh, sails are torn in two, uh, masts are broken in half by the wind, and it, you just go into that situation, and it just keeps on going. It's one thing to kind of like have land in sight, but it's another thing to be on the open sea with nothing you know, but ocean for miles around and being caught up in a storm that you can't get out of. Sometimes storms come and it feels like there's no end in sight. Sometimes storms come and it feels like you might die. It's hard to see the shore and it's hard to imagine how you'll even get out of it. Does that sound familiar? Sometimes our life is like that. Sometimes things come up in our lives that we feel like there's no way out. Sometimes there's times where we feel like we can't see the shore or see the end in sight. It just feels so distant. We feel so helpless and tossed about by life circumstances. You know, you and I might never be sailors. I know for a guarantee I will never be one, okay? There's never going to be a scenario where I'm going to be a ship's captain, not even for a day if I rent a pontoon boat, okay? I'm not going to do that. 
Most of us are not going to be sailors, but most of us will encounter storms in our life. Most of us will encounter some kind of emotional storm where things are unsettled and we feel a little out of place and we're concerned about the future. Or some of us might encounter financial storms that come out of nowhere, expenses and and, uh, debts and, and bills that need to be paid that come out of nowhere. Or relationship storms where things were good at one point in time, but now they're on the rocks. You know, a storm is anything that threatens your peace. A storm is anything that threatens your peace and throws you into turmoil. Storms threaten stability and progress. They can be frightening and discouraging. But I want you to know that with God's help, you can survive the storm. There are times where Jesus stills the storm, and there's other times that he just simply brings you through it. Let me say that again. There's times where Jesus stills the storm, And there's times where he just brings you through it. Paul had been through four of these. You don't think he was a praying man at those times? You don't think he remembers or heard the stories of Jesus calming the ocean and calming the seas so the disciples could get from one side of the Sea of Galilee to the other? You don't think he heard about that? You don't think he prayed towards that end? But after three of them, you're kind of like, I'm used to this. You know, I'm kind of familiar with this. We're always trying to say, God, get me out of the storm. God stopped the storm. But there are times in our life where God's just going to bring us through it. And he's going to show his faithfulness through it. And we're going to learn some things through it as we go. So Paul's journey takes on three different stops. The first stop is from uh, Adramidium to Sidon. Now Paul travels from where they leave port and they go to Sidon. And ironically enough, in Sidon, Paul has friends there. And the Roman centurion that was in charge of him says, you know what, go meet with your friends, go refresh your supplies, go be encouraged there. And so they, while they are in port in Sidon, Paul is refreshed, both with supplies and also just the fellowship of other friends because Paul had friends all over. Can I tell you that it's important to know that when you're going through stuff, don't forsake your friends. We sometimes go through our journey alone And we prefer to go through it alone. But there is value in having friends that help you along the way. They may not even be able to go with you the whole length of the journey. But they're a stop on your journey in which you can be refreshed and renewed and strengthened. From Sidon, they go to Lycia. And they set sail again, passing the island of Cyprus, as you can see in uh, my right-hand corner there. They go through Cyprus, and they encountered strong winds because of the unpredictable weather at that time, and they land in Myra and Lycia. And in verse 6 through 8, we, we see that, uh, you know, that they begin to change ships there. And from Lycia, they find an Alexandrian ship that usually would carry grain, and it was heading for Italy. And the Roman centurion, okay, you know, it says that Julius is of the uh, Augustan band, a Roman centurion. Now, it's important to note that a regiment was 600 soldiers. A centurion was a commander over 100. Now, I don't think that they had like 600 soldiers on this trip, but basically, at, at any time, uh, the Roman Empire and the Roman soldiers could commandeer and vessel, and they say, where are you headed? Okay, we're heading there too, and we're bringing some prisoners on board. And so, uh, Julius finds this, uh, this grain ship that would go 
uh, usually it would go south and it would pick up grain in Egypt in that area and then it would make its way to Rome and Rome would use that grain to make bread and it was kind of a supply route, a trade route um, for Rome to be able to have food. And so he finds the ship and so they pile these prisoners on board and can take up the 276 people along with the grain that's on board and they begin to head out and they're hoping to avoid the storm. And, and Paul, you know, they're saying, okay, we're going to head out. And once we head out, we're going to head towards Italy. And, and, and Paul's saying, you know, I don't think this is a good idea. I think we should reconsider this. And Paul gives some advice and some counsel in verses 9 through 12. And he said to the men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss. Not only the loss of cargo, but also our lives. But it says, nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of ship than by things that were spoken of by Paul. And because of the harbor was not suitable for them to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also. If by means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, opening towards the southwest and winter there. So I want to go back to that. So they're hoping to get to Crete. And they want to be able to, to find port there, but they realize that it's a kind of a west-facing port, and that's when the wind's coming in, and that the ship wouldn't do well in that port. And so Paul's like, you know, we need to find a place where we can uh, be safe and try not to venture out any further. But it says that the people that were on the ship ignored Paul's wisdom and counsel. And they looked for an opening to set sail for Rome. And they started out, and what looked like a fair wind changed quickly. Once they got past the island of Crete, they got stuck in a northeaster. And yes, that's actually in the... The scripture's there. You might think, well, it's a nor'easter. That's a New England thing. But it's actually mentioned here in chapter 27. They get stuck in the middle of a northeaster with hurricane force winds that drove them south. It rained and poured so much that they used a large ship like this. We used to have like a small, uh, smaller ship that they would tow behind it. And that was their, like their lifeboat. But it was raining so much and the seas were so, uh, so much in turmoil and there's so much storm activity that the lifeboat started to fill up with water. So they pull the boat in and they bring it on to the larger ship because they realized that that ship was going to slow them down or it was going to sink. So they hit this storm, this northeaster. And so as things start to unfold, they try and start lightening the ship so it doesn't take on water. So they throw uh, the ship's tackle and equipment overboard. And this goes on for several days. It's estimated they spent two weeks at sea caught in the storm. Can you imagine that? It's one thing to be like out at the sea, but to be two weeks in a storm that won't let up. Storms can be scary, but you know, the second thing that we need to learn about storms is that when you're in the middle of a storm, show courage and encourage. Show courage and encourage. What does it mean to have courage? It's like, I'm going through something that's scary to me, but does it, what that means is that I don't show my fear. Courage doesn't mean you're not afraid. Courage just means that you are better at handling it than most people. That when you go forward and you fight battles and when you face difficult situations, you're strong for the people you need to be strong for. It doesn't mean that you don't go home at night and cry yourself to sleep. It doesn't mean that you go home and you sit down at the desk and you try and figure out the bills and you pull your hair out because you can't pay your bills. It doesn't mean that the life's difficulties change. All that it means is that you're saying, I'm going forward courageously to face the challenge ahead of me. When Paul was faced with this 
dangerous situation. Paul's in the same place as everybody else. He's also lost at sea. He's also in danger, but his perspective was different. He saw the fear and despair around him and saw it as an opportunity to speak. Let me ask you a question today, that when you go through things, do you see the fear around you and the turmoil around you and you see it as an opportunity to speak words of encouragement and comfort to people that need to hear it, or do you find yourself cowering in fear? Do you find yourself over in a corner in a fetal position sucking your thumb because everyone else is terrified also? Or do you see an opportunity here to be able to speak? Paul speaks up in verses 20 through 26. He says, Now when neither the sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, it says that all hope that we would be saved was given up. I want you to take note of that there. At a time when everyone on that ship said that, we, that all hope of us being saved was given up. The writer of this is Luke, who is Paul's travel companion, a doctor and historian, and he journals everything that happens. If you read chapter 27, it's a very in-depth, detailed account of what a, a being lost at sea is all, always like. And so he gets up and speaks. Paul sees this opportunity and speaks in verse 21. He says, After a long absence from food, Paul then stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. Now I urge you to take heart. There will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of God, whom I belong to and serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul, for, must, for you must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore take heart, men, for I believe God, that it will be just as he told me. However, we must run the ship aground on a nearby island. This ship and crew, 276 people, terrified for their lives, not sure of what's going to happen, fearful and overwhelmed, and Paul gets up and speaks words of comfort to them. Paul said, you know, I was sleeping last night. And Paul must have been through a lot of storms because somehow he took a nap at some point in time. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Paul, you, don't worry. Don't be afraid because you will have to go before Caesar. I've appointed for you to go before Caesar. So you will get there. And not only you, but everyone on the ship will go with you. And Paul spoke up and spoke words of comfort, words that reassured those who were troubled, words that settled the, the hearts and minds of the people that were worried about death and sickness and, and being thrown out to sea and all the things that would go along with that. Paul gets up and sees the opportunity and says something. Paul had been through storms before, so he could speak from experience. You know, when you've been through some things, when you've seen some stuff, when God's brought you through it, you are uniquely positioned to speak into that situation. When you've seen stuff, when you've been through stuff, when God's brought you through on the other side, you are uniquely positioned in life to speak to a person's situation. It's easy to forget what God's brought you through, but remember the lessons that you've learned along the way. When everyone else was losing their head, the Apostle Paul was keeping his cool. In the darkest storm, it's easy to panic and hide, but a man or woman of God always speaks courageously. Can I encourage you to do that today? Man or woman of God, speak 
courageously to your situation. Speak courageously to those who need it. Paul shares what he knows. He shares the promise of God that was given to him and to those that were on the ship. God used this man to speak comfort and encouragement to those on board. The goodness that God has deposited in you is to be used for the strengthening, encouraging, and comforting of those who go through their storms too. Our tendency is to think that we're the only one in that storm, but others are in it too. If you look around you, there's others going through the same thing, and they need a word from the Lord also. Paul is not concerned for himself and his own safety, but for all who are on that ship. Paul wasn't just like, I'm just concerned about me. When are we going to get to Rome? I'm a little worried. Paul wasn't just concerned about himself. But Paul is concerned with every single person on that ship that he didn't want one to be lost. What a heart for people he had. If you look at verses 27 through 32, it says that they saw that the, the, sea, the ship was being tossed back and forth. And they saw land off in the distance. And they measured the depth of water. And they, they realized that as they were going towards the shore that the water was getting more shallow and more shallow as they went. And while this, they were anchored, so they, they dropped four anchors near the coast and they just prayed for daylight. And the ship's just being tossed back and forth. Four anchors to hold that ship in place. And they're just seeing the ship just being tossed back and forth in the wind and the waves. They're just hoping for daylight. And then some of the men said, you know what, we need to get out of here. So they lower that lifeboat down into the, the, the tempest and the waves. And Paul says to them, don't do that. Listen, I, I told you that if you trusted God, that not one single person on this ship would be lost, but the ship itself would be lost. Don't look for a way out. Stay with it. How many times have we, in a bad situation, wanted to jump ship? How many times in a difficult scenario, a job that we didn't care for, a family situation we didn't think was going anywhere, you know, things that weren't going well at church, and we wanted to jump ship? Paul's saying, don't quit. Don't jump ship. Stay with it. God's going to see this through to the end. Don't jump in the middle of the storm. You won't make it. We sometimes think, you know what, if I just jump in the middle of my storm, that I'll escape and I'll make it. But the truth is there's peril and danger waiting for you in the ocean. Stay with what you know. Yeah, pastor, but my home life is difficult. Stay with what you know. Yeah, but my job is difficult. What did God say to you? What did God promise you? What does his word say to you today? It says to us that we're to keep going and never give up. God does not honor the quitter. He honors the overcomer. I'll say it again. God does not honor the quitter. He honors the overcomer. Being an overcomer means that you overcome what's in front of you. The letters to the churches in the, in the book of Revelation contains the phrase, to him who overcomes, I will give. And he promises a reward for each believer. To him who overcomes, what's in front of them? What's in front of you, brother or sister? What's in front of you, friend, that's too much for you to handle? We sometimes want it to be removed, but God's going to bring us through. You can't overcome unless there's something against you that you need to get over. The overcomer is honored by God. The overcomer is rewarded by God. Maybe God's speaking to you in the midst of your storm today to stay with the ship and not jump ship. 
Be faithful to that calling. Don't give up. Don't quit. Instead, choose to overcome. You know what else Paul does with them? It's really wild when you read it too. I'm absolutely amazed because I have this picture of the storm raging and winds blowing and uh, sails ripping and, and, you know, it says that at a certain point they had to put uh, cables underneath the ship to hold it together, like rope underneath the ship to hold the hull together. And it says that at a certain point Paul saw that the men hadn't eaten in a really long time. And they're aboard a grain ship with bread and grain and all sorts of things like that. And you know what Paul does? Says, Paul says, brothers, you guys haven't eaten in a long time. You're stressed, you're anxious, maybe you, you're seasick. But Paul says, you know what? Let's break bread here today. And he stops in that moment. In a little bit, we're going to be celebrating communion together. But I want you to get this picture. This Paul's on the ship, you know, <laughs> being tossed around. Everyone else is sick. Everyone else is worried. Everyone's wet and tired and just wants to get out of this situation. Paul says, you know what? Let's thank God today. And he takes bread and he thanks the Lord and he blesses and he breaks and he gives it to them. And they partake of bread right in the middle of the ship, right in the middle of the, the turmoil and everything else, right in the middle of everything that's just taking uh, control and taking over the situation. And Paul says, let's take a moment and thank God. Let's take a moment and pray. Let's take a moment and break bread in this moment and be strengthened by it. And it says to all the men after that, they found a sense of comfort and they themselves ate and were refreshed and renewed. It says that then after that, they tossed all the grain off of the ship to lighten the load a little bit more. But can I challenge you today to break bread with people? Can I challenge you today that when, you're, when you know someone that's going through something, they're going through a storm, they're going through a difficulty, when was the last time you took them out to lunch? When was the last time you sat down with them across the table and shared a cup of coffee? When was the last time within you encouraged them in some way? When did you break not only physical bread and fellowship, but break the bread of life with them? Because they needed somebody in their storm. Can you be that person today? I believe that you can. Final thing about storms here is this. Eventually they end. Did you know that? They do. They do. We're like, I'm never going to get out of this. You will, because it doesn't go on forever. Because eventually it ends. Eventually the sky's clear. Eventually you get to land. Eventually there's an end in sight. Verses 39 through 44. It says, when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but observed a bay with a beach, onto which they planned to run the ship if possible. And they let the anchors and left them in the sea. Meanwhile, loosing the rudders and ropes and hoisted the mainsail towards the wind and made for shore. But then they struck a place where the two seas met and the ship ran aground and the prow or the bow of the ship stuck fast into the, the, the uh, uh, seashore and was immovable. But the, the stern of the ship was being broken up by the violence of the waves. And look at this in verse 42. It says, the soldiers planned was to kill the prisoners lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion wanting to save Paul and them kept them from their purpose and commanded that all those who could swim to jump overboard and get to land and the rest, some on boards and some on parts of the ship, so that all escaped safely to land. Think about that. All of them made it. Think about how crazy this is. The captain sh- cut loose the anchors and tried to run the ship aground on the shore in a nearby island. 
and the ship strikes the sandbar with such force that the bow of the ship is stuck in it and the stern breaks off and the wind is and the waves are smashing the ship to pieces and people start to frantically make their way ashore and the Roman centurions who were there, you know, it was Roman Empire policy that if you as a captor allowed your prisoner to escape, it would be your life for his. And those who were Roman soldiers on the ship said, you know what, these guys can't escape. If they escape, it's our lives for theirs. And so they were getting ready to kill them. Think about this. They had just had their lives spared. They just got to safety. And here they are, like the sea didn't kill them, but they were seriously thinking about killing these men. But Julius, the Roman centurion, remembering how God spoke to Paul, remembering the things that Paul said and the recommendations he made and how the lives of people were saved through Paul. And they said, I don't want anything to happen to Paul, so change your plans. Don't do that. Don't allow that to happen. And Paul and the other men were saved and spared. Remember, storms always come to an end eventually. Aren't you thankful that they don't last forever? Aren't you thankful that there is calm eventually, solid and ground, dry ground to go on to? There is another side to your storm. There is not just what you're in, but there is a side on the other side of your storm that you will get to. What Paul and the crew went through was bad, but he got to the other side intact. He didn't have much with him, but he made it. When that ship left port, it was full of enthusiasm. It was full of uh, plans and goals and things that they wanted to accomplish. It was full of grain and bread and people, and they had a destination in mind, and they had profit in mind. But the storm came, and it took everything else, and all that was left was a shipwreck. But they walked away from it. What's the old saying? Any wreck that you can walk away from is a good one, right? You don't go, oh, my carry-on was on there, and my iPhone and my iPad were in there. Like, I wish I could get that back. You don't think about that when you survive a near-death experience. You're not concerned with, like, what kind of pants you lost in the journey. You're just thinking to yourself, I'm just glad I made it. How can I call my family? Is everybody okay? Thank God I'm on the other side. When was the last time we looked at the stuff we go through and go, thank God I made it? I'm broke, but I made it. I may not be the most healthy person in the world, but I made it. You know, my family might have had some difficulties along the way, but we're still intact and we made it. Maybe we had to move from one place to another, but I made it. When was the last time we looked at life and said, you know what, this was hard, this was difficult, but I made it through by the grace and the goodness of God. What things can you look back on when you see God brought you through? Things didn't end the way that many on that ship thought it was going to, but they survived. What has the Lord brought you through? Stephanie talked about it a little bit earlier during the prayer time. What did you go through, and how did you survive because of God's goodness? Maybe it was a near-fatal accident. Maybe it was an abuse situation. Maybe it was a marriage that broke apart. Maybe you didn't think you were going to make it, but the grace of God brought you through. And you got up and walked on the other side because Jesus was with you. Life is full of storms. Some feel like they'll never end. But whether it's here in this life or when we die and reach heaven's shores, we will make it to the other side. We'll make it to the other side. 
It's like, wow, this storm's going on really long. Wow, this physical ailment's going on really long. Wow, this, this battle with addiction is going on really long. Wow, my kids are, you know, far from the Lord, far from me. It seems like it's been going on for a really long time. The storm seems like it'll never end. It seems like this job scenario is just awful and terrible and will never come to an end. All storms come to an end. And God will bring you through it. Determined to be a survivor. Determine today that I'm going to set my sights on being a survivor. Remember, being courageous doesn't mean that you're not afraid. Being courageous doesn't mean like you just go into things headlong and you don't think about or worry about or count the cost. That it could very well cost you your life. But being courageous means that I go and I face it and I put my trust in what I've been through. I put my trust in the God that I serve. You can either choose to sink or be shipwrecked. But you need to learn to keep it together. Hold things together until you get to the other side. Remember that God can bring you through and hold on to his promises and be an overcomer. I want you to think about this. As we read the story of this uh, shipwreck, I want you to think of something. What are some things that you can do to survive the storm? Obviously to trust God, yes, completely. But I want you to think what Paul did and the men did on the ship. That when they were going through the storm, when things were, were battering them and they looked like all was lost, they still worked. They did their best to hold it together. They, they, they brought, brought the sails down. They put the ropes around the ship to hold it together. They brought the lifeboat in. Everyone, it was all hands on decks. They were throwing things overboard to make sure the ship would survive. They worked to make sure that we, they would hold it together. In your storm, in your situation, what are you doing How are you working to keep things together? Are you, or are you in a corner somewhere, overwhelmed? We need to keep at it, no matter what. Paul worshiped, broke bread, and said, I'm thankful, Lord, and I praise you today. And he prayed, and he shared bread together. In the middle of your storm, are you still worshiping God? Are you still trusting him, no matter what? And Paul still witnessed. He gave words of comfort, encouragement, and words of promise from, his, from God's word to him. When you're in the middle of your storm, continue to work, continue to worship, continue to be a witness, continue to tell the word of the Lord to those around you. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back up. Let me ask you the question, what kind of storm are you going through? I know a storm for me right now is both my mom and dad have COVID. My dad's in a hospital right now. That's my storm. But we all have things that we go through. And we all have journeys that we must cross and we must trust God in the journey. Say, God, I'm just putting this in your hands. I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I choose to trust you. What storm are you facing right now? What things are threatening your well-being mentally, emotionally, and spiritually? What things are weighing heavily on you like a burden that cannot be lifted? What things are you going through right now that seems like there's no end in sight and that there won't be any end in sight? Whatever you're facing today, trust the Lord in your storm. He won't always bring, he won't always still the seas. 
but he will bring you through to the other side. The Lord is present to help us. Paul had a promise, and that promise kept him going. What's the promise that God's given you? What's the thing that he spoke to your heart years ago? Or maybe he spoke it to your heart in times of prayer. Will you stand on the word that he's given you even when everything seems to be giving way? This morning, the Lord is able to make you, help you through the storm and to help you get through the other side. As we close our eyes in this moment of reflection and prayer, I want to ask you today, are you going through a storm of some kind? Are you facing something that's too big for you? Do you feel like you're trapped and you can't get out? If that's the case today, if with our heads bowed and eyes closed, just say, Pastor, would you pray for me right now? Remember me in your prayers because I'm in a journey that I need the Lord to help me out. Say, Pastor, that's me. Pray for me because I'm in the middle of a storm right now. Just lift up that hand and we'll pray for you. Thank you. I want to encourage you too that if you did raise your hand at the end of the service when that last song's playing, will you come up for prayer? I want to stand with you and believe God for your breakthrough. Let's pray. God, I'm in the middle of a storm right now. Lord, I need you to help me in my journey. Lord, it didn't start the way that it started a certain way. I thought it was going to go a certain way, but it's completely changed and I can't see the end in sight. I don't know which way is up. But Lord, this morning, I choose to give this over to you. I choose to trust you in the middle of my storm, in the middle of my difficulty. Lord, it's so dark and it feels like there's no hope, but I know that you are my light and my hope. You are my salvation. and you, I will put my trust. So I pray for every person in this place today that they would look to you Lord, even though everything else is swirling around them, it's hard to know which end is up, I pray they would look to you and see you and know that you're there and that you'll see them through the other side. There will be no loss of life here. But Lord God, even though we experience things that we might lose along the way, that you'll see us through to the other side. Strengthen hearts, bring comfort, bring hope to those who are lacking it today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.